Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Started. Hello and welcome to No Confidence. I'm your host, David Merlin. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away with the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. It's January 24th of 2024. <clears throat> I'm going to start with an example up here in my uh, spiel concerning how it appears the tax honesty movement has passed on. I know one or two of them might have um, just might have uh, rumble channels. And right now I dialed up Free Enterprise Society. And I'm looking for the one with uh, freeenterprisesociety.com. No information is available for this page. Is that right? Unsupported protocol. FreeEnterpriseSociety.com If that's the one I was looking for, they're out of business. Let's see. Here we go. <coughs> well... This is no good. Here we go. And this looks like, uh, is it a 2005 action? Complaint for permanent injunction. And I'm looking for a date. Where's a May 2nd of 2005 complaint for uh, injunctive permanent injunction against the uh, free enterprise selling its stuff. I'm juggling here. Thank you. Talk shoe paste and send. There it is on the Department of Justice's own website. Their very own website, uh, complaint for permanent injunction against Steve Hempling, the Free Enterprise Society, <clears throat> says he charges $45 per year for an annual membership. That's a good thing, is he charge uh, per year for an annual membership. That's who you're dealing with there at the DOJ. They thought that's a, that was a sentence. Hempling charges $45 per year. For an annual membership? Uh, yeah, that's why it's per year. Stupid. And they they dictate whether or not you go to prison. And they're that damn stupid. We're all going to die. Uh, let's see. Citizens for a free enterprise. Dot com. All the long names were taken. 
Here we go. Citizens for Free Enterprise. That's going to be a legitimate group. That's not going to be Steve Hempfling. Well, I could be wrong. Contact, where are you? He's on the uh, West Coast, San Francisco area, north of there, I think. Well, it doesn't say here where they are. Anyway, uh, I wonder where the, uh, the um, top gurus of the tax honesty movement have ended up. I just wonder. Because I don't run into them at all. David Champion has a channel on Rumble. But uh, it's really a... Um, it's a dead enterprise. Tax, tax honesty movement. You just don't see anybody. I'll do a general search for tax honesty movement. Because I'd like to take some people to the, uh, to the classroom and, uh, teach them how to sue the IRS under the Administrative Procedures Act, you won't get anywhere except you'll have proof that you sued for proof that the tax is imposed and they can't even talk to you about it. That's not a bad place to be. Tax protest movement. And they all start by saying that it's a it's a objection to the federal income tax. Well, with me, no, it's not. It's an objection to the fact that nobody can prove it's a tax. <laughs> wow. Let's see here. This is kind of interesting. Conviction delivers a blow to the U.S. tax honesty movement. January 30th of 05, Al Thompson, the businessman who became a hero to the tax protesters when he stopped withholding tax from the pay of his workers at his small manufacturing plant more than four years ago, was convicted on Friday on all but one of the 14 criminal charges. Thompson of Redding, California. Oh, the jury acquitted Thompson of conspiring with Joe Bannister a former IRS service criminal investigator to defeat the tax laws. Bannister, a certified public accountant in San Jose, who tells clients no law requires them to pay taxes, asked to be tried separately in June. Not a bad move. Uh, so Thompson was busted and convicted. Okay. Things you got to know. Here's one more. Now, um, in 1992, I was still independent, doing independent research, <clears throat> beginning in uh, June of 88, and then in August of 92, due to the vast amounts of knowledge I had acquired on my own through my own self-studies, 
the Institute for American Studies hired me in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, I kept writing down my findings, putting together a course. And by the end of 93, I was done with my research into the tax code and how the IRS uh, violates in the most obvious of ways. Uh, I didn't read every tax statute, but I read the ones that are going to come into play when they tax the individual for compensation for services, self-employed or employee. And in 1993, uh, I wrote a couple things for the Americans Bulletin out of Medford, Oregon and had a couple of cockroaches crawl out of the woodwork and he doesn't know a thing. Hey, I, I ought to debate him. One of them was um, Carl Granzi of the Citizens for Constitutional Minnesota, his own little closet organization in Minnesota. And the guy knew a lot. Uh, he didn't have the entire tax code though. And uh, challenged me to a debate. I said, I just can't wait. Uh, get your ass to the microphone. Never heard from him again. Uh, unless it was from long distance going, yeah, that Dave Merlin, he sure can, you know. And no one will debate me. No one will come near me. And how many years is that? 30. <laughs> 30 years. I've been dying for a debate. And it's taken them 30 years to get the hell out of my way so that the people that are still listening to anything that's against the IRS, uh, they can finally get the truth out of me. But all these other people have known about my treatise. They've known about Section 83 and just said, it's gibberish. Uh, duh, no, we don't have to know about it. When the IRS and the courts say it explains how to tax the entire workforce, they don't have time for it. So really, there is nothing to debate. But let's hang that challenge out there again. Uh, can any of you maggots in the anti-tax movement prove me wrong about a thing I said? Well, it's all based on statute then. If you can't prove I'm wrong, it's the strongest argument in town. The statutory argument. Section 1, graduated income tax doesn't mention the citizenship. The regulation they wrote to implement it does mention a citizenship. And that's the only provision, a regulation, that names a U.S. citizen as a subject of an income tax. Oh, we can't make that challenge. Why is that? Because you learn from the tax honesty movement. They keep you stupid. When somebody says, here's a statute the government won't talk about, but explains how to tax me. And you don't... The first word to your mind isn't offense because your teachers don't know anything. They don't know about going on the offense. They don't know about firming up their argument. So yeah, let's hang it out there. I want to debate. Come on, you morons. Been telling everybody I'm wrong for years. That's some kind of movement. Doesn't move, it just sits there. I'm impressed. Wow. It's really something. 
and they all go down. I, I had never heard until uh, just a few minutes ago that 2005 action against the Free Enterprise Society. That's why I haven't heard anything from them or about them or no ads from them in all these years. It's almost 20 years now. And I don't teach anybody, don't pay it. I teach everybody, pay it. The law is a secret. Don't form a relationship with a government that's going to keep the law a secret while it sends you to prison. Are you stupid or something? Well, I'm in the movement, and you know, my kind, we just, we don't file. And we don't care about Section 83. So no one can teach us a thing. We're going to sit out here without tax returns and wait for the government to throw us in prison. No inkling of what an offense even is, or even a legal defense. When the people on this call know that I habitually brief the hell out of everything I argue. So that the court I submit my brief to, they don't have to take my word for anything. I cite a bunch of cases in everything I do. Go read the cases and tell me I'm wrong. I don't want anybody to do something because they believe me. That's why I cite so many cases. And it looks nice. Uh, it's impressive. When a judge looks at one of my annotations, sees there's eight or nine cases here, and the opposing counsel says, oh, this is frivolous, totally without merit, this Section 83 thing. And they don't even cite a case that they've won on Section 83 because every time they've won, first thing I do to it is I chop it to pieces for how faulty their conclusion is drawn. <laughs> gotcha. So they don't even bother arguing again. And we saw that in wevgov.com slash orth capital O, small R-T-H, wevgov.com slash orth. That's Robert Orth. And that address is a, a an argument between me and the Seventh Circuit in the case of Robert Orth versus Commissioner. And on that page, you see the exchange of briefs between me and the Department of Justice Tax Division, and they had had the argument since 1993. They still can't even talk about the provisions in my treatise. Welcome, EJ. Let me get those statutes for you, everybody. I go to take from Caesar.us. Five, six, seven, eight. I clicked eight times down. And here is my entire treatise. Copy and paste once into the chat. There are the provisions in my treatise in the heaviest lifting arguments. And with those provisions, I prove these conclusions. Paste and send. <clears throat> those provisions, I make an argument that proves those uh, particular conclusions about the tax code. There it is, the whole thing. And you go to the Robert Orth page, and there are the arguments written based on those provisions. 
<clears throat> to prove these things. And you see that the government can't even cite case law where my arguments have been disposed of. They can't cite the provisions that are cited in my arguments. Just a whole bunch of verbs and nouns and nothing based on law to say that I'm wrong. So that's why I pound on these arguments. And that's why it's really damn time that the tax honesty movement learned something. Because now they've disappeared. They're uh, fractionalized. Spread like a thin cow manure glaze on a meadow muffin. Yeah, you, Mr. Champion. Pete Hendrickson. <clears throat> Where are they? You don't hear them making waves, making news. Hey, David Champion got another person out of prison that went to prison for doing what J Dave Champion teaches. So they can't mop up after themselves. People end up in prison. When people do what I suggest, they don't end up in prison. I suggest... You go to H&R Block and you tell them everything about your finances and circumstance and you get a best and worst case scenario for you from them. What's the worst case if I got back in the system and filed all my back tax returns? What's the best you can do for me? And get a best and worst and get back in the system. Pay the IRS what they say you owe, according to H&R Block. Anybody else can go to prison by surprise. Susan Taylor, 2010, real estate agent, filing her returns, paying her income taxes, filing her returns, paying taxes for years, then just stopped. And two years later, she didn't get a letter from the IRS. She didn't get a notice of levy served on her employer. She got an indictment and went to prison. The first word she heard after two years of not filing. So if you miss a tax return, you have a relationship with a government that'll keep the law a secret from you while they throw you in prison and ransack your belongings. And if you don't have somebody on the outside of prison who's willing to say, okay, you know, we'll go to your house and put everything in boxes and put it in a storage unit. How humiliating that must be to have other people pack up all your stuff while you sit in prison looking the fool. When the fool was the person that said, don't file tax returns, don't pay the IRS any money. Those are the fools. Now, did you hear me say, pay me $45 a year? No, I'll teach you what the government's doing but you can't teach a way around corruption. Unless you got pictures of them and the prostitute. <laughs> it's a rough game, don't play it. And the tax honesty movement uh, blossomed and died and blew away before any of them learned any of my teachings. So here I am alone out here uh, reviving that debate that was requested of me in the 90s. I said, that's fine. Let's go for it. Let's start and end in section 83. I never hear from one, uh, 
after that because we should start and end in section 83. How does section 83 operate in your conclusion? Your teachings are valid. And they have to admit they have no working knowledge whatsoever of the statute that explains how to tax the workforce. What's to debate? They refuse basic knowledge. They stand out there and bitch at me. You answer to their debate and they run away. Superman with flaming panties. We're all so impressed. So they're gone now. Erwin Schiff died in prison probably 2013, I think. He was one of the last holdouts. I don't know if Bill Benson is still alive. Bill Benson, I don't think so. Bill Benson, 16th Amendment. Oh, the underlying premise of Benson's abusive tax promotion is his claim that the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was not properly ratified. He claims this, and so it's called an abusive tax promotion. What the hell is an abusive tax promotion? It's called an abusive tax shelter. So the person that wrote this doesn't know anything. As a result, Benson claims, U.S. citizens are required to file uh, income tax returns with the IRS or pay federal taxes. Okay. That's the Department of Justice talking. The law that never was, Bill Benson. Bill Benson and Martin Beckman. There's a blast from the past, long time ago. Let's see. Bill Benson was convicted of tax evasion and willful failure to file tax returns in connection with $100,000 of unreported income. The law that never was. I don't find any personal information about Bill Benson, whether he's alive or dead. David Champion's alive. Pete Hendrickson's alive. Uh, David Champion and Pete Hendrickson are dead from the neck up. Uh, save your applause till the end. <laughs> So, uh, Bill Benson, is he alive? Is Bill Benson alive? Is Bill alive? Well, nothing here says he's dead, so I have to presume he's still alive. Paimon Matteheda of the Freedom Law School. He's still alive. And he's out there saying, I haven't paid taxes or filed a return in 29 years. You're dealing with a government that keeps the law secret and penalizes you thousands of dollars if you bother them about it. And you think you have a cure for what they do? It's it's so shady and greasy for these shysters out there 
to keep their plaque on the wall and just say, hey, you know, here we are, we're going for it, and uh, you don't have to pay taxes. It's really something else. And who else do we have? Bill Benson, Dave and Pete, and Paymon. And who else? Lamar Hardy. He's out of the business. He was out of Hawaii. And just a couple of years ago, finally got out of prison 15 years in solitary confinement where it's either just you in the cell or you and one other person in the cell. Six by 12 feet with a stand-up steel shower with no curtain in it and a one-piece steel toilet and wash basin. <laughs> 15 years. And he was the king of, I don't believe I have a duty. He ran the research in, uh, let's see, the research foundation in Hawaii, selling a, an annual subscription where every month he'd send out a mailer and uh, it's in a document sleeve with three rings in it. So you could put it in your binders and it had articles in there about the government and about misconduct. And he offered opinion letters from people who, uh, experts who thought you didn't have to file or pay, they'd write a legal opinion and his people would buy the opinions and hold off criminal convictions that way. I relied on experts over here. And uh, they called it the reliance defense when in fact it's actually called entrapment by estoppel. I can get you a real quick case about entrapment by estoppel. I clicked on this and, and here it comes, slow down, find the chat, entrapment by estoppel. Are these just notes? I'm looking. Yeah, these are just notes. And drag into the chat. There you go. Entrapment by estoppel. <clears throat> and I love this case. U.S. versus Talmadge. What a fantastic case on entrapment by estoppel. There's the Talmadge case right there. Talmadge, state felony charge, conviction. So he can't own a gun. He's a felon. And then his state changed the charge to a misdemeanor charge. For some reason, the, the law wasn't good enough. The law was too broad or too vague or something. They said we ought to reduce the penalty then for violating it to a misdemeanor. So his felony charge was reduced to a misdemeanor. And uh, they went to court <clears throat> to have the court recognize that. 
and the judge says, well, don't buy a concealable weapon. Oh, count on me, Your Honor. And so he asked his attorney, so I can, I can buy a gun, right? And the attorney says, yeah, yeah, looks like you can buy a gun. So he went to an FFL, a federally licensed firearms dealer. And uh, the firearms dealer uh, looked at the instance and said, yeah, you can buy a gun. So Talmadge bought a rifle and he was pinched for it. <clears throat> You're a felon with a gun. And he had to argue. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said, no, he reasonably relied on the passing comment from the judge saying, don't buy a concealable weapon. And the comment from his attorney that his opinion was that he could go ahead and buy a gun. And we regard these federal firearms licensees as experts. And he said to his best of his knowledge, the regulations allowed Talmadge to now own a gun. So he sold him a gun. And so Talmadge is innocent by the doctrine of entrapment by estoppel. Well, point of order, in my tax work, I relied on how many hundreds of federal appellate judges, how many Supreme Court justices, the entire legislature of the United States, that's 535 members of uh, the Senate and House. I relied on them. I relied on the Secretary of the Treasury that wrote the regulations that I cite and that I quote. Well, that's not as good as Talmadge. They had a comment from the judge, a legal opinion from a private attorney, and the opinion of a federal firearms licensee. Those are way more powerful than hundreds of appellate judges, Congress, and bureaucrats that write the regulations. So I got them right in the middle of that. It wasn't enough in the Richard Boggs case. So he had a fantastic reliance defense built up. All these cases that he had litigated based on these findings, and it wasn't enough. And Paymon Matajeda thinks that you can sit out there for 29 years and advertise to people, I don't file, I don't pay, 29 years now, come on down. When one of his people gets in trouble, what do they need? They need what you don't see for a million miles. Somebody that can get them out of the trouble. You got to work in advance to stay out of trouble. Yes, you do. <clears throat> you want to be somebody to where the DOJ just can't even talk to the grand jury because you're all over them like a stink with the Administrative Procedures Act and Section 83. Administrative Procedures Act, specifically 5 U.S.C. 706. It's a dream. That's what the judge has to do in a statutory case. You got to decide things uh, through a certain methodology, Your Honor, and they never will. So the IRS knows when they bring my arguments to court, the only thing to save them is the willingness of the judge to look at 5 U.S.C. 706 and turn away and say, I'm not doing that. 
I don't care what Congress says. I'm not deciding a case that way. 5 U.S.C. 706 happens to be the codification of Marbury versus Madison. It's the role of the judiciary in this representative republic to say what the law is. How do you do that? 5 U.S.C. 706 will describe it to you in full, Your Honor, and there's nowhere to run. I dare you to give me that relief in a tax case. No, no, no. We're going to penalize you thousands of dollars for that. We do not decide the law in this court, especially those provisions. <laughs> and you got all the proof. WeVGov.com slash ORTH, capital O, small R-T-H. WeVGov.com slash ORTH. There's the exchange of briefs, 2017. They'd had the arguments for 26 years, and they can't even mention the provisions relied upon to uh, long enough to disprove them. They can't cite any cases that have disposed of the arguments, and you still lose. That's not law. It's the practice of corruption. It's not the practice of law. Hey, Dave, why didn't you ever get your license to practice? Law is a toilet. The last thing in the world I want to do for a living. Believe it. And if you haven't filed, if you haven't paid, right or wrong, you have a relationship with the government that thinks that the law should be kept a secret and that you should be penalized into the grave for daring them to interpret the law and prove you wrong. It's just America. And then you see problems that are way more obvious than this. Uh, rap is music. The anti-Semitism out in the streets and on the campuses now. Uh, the ghetto rapes 35,000 white women every year here in America. Big, big problems that are right in your face to where this really falls by the wayside because it'll take somebody six months to really gain an appreciation for, hey, they are stealing from me. So uh, it might be too late for a tax argument. If the government raises its head and indicts somebody, I can put their head right in those crosshairs and put them right in the middle of those arguments and pull their pants down with the fact that you are not a lawyer. A lawyer could deny me. A lawyer could prove me wrong. Instead, you just cry to the judge and have the judge come in and twist the knife on me. What about the law? Well, that doesn't count. Nah. This is my courtroom. I hereby sentence you to 37 months in prison. Next case. And you go to prison with no answers. I still haven't heard what they ultimately did to Richard Boggs. I think he was sentenced to 27 months. I don't know if he was allowed out during appeal. So he could uh, support his family. Or whether he was whisked into custody. Uh, the moment the gavel came down. Nice enough guy. I just couldn't work with him any further. And uh, I have good reason to believe there was somebody else behind the scenes interfering with my approach. So sayonara. Too bad. That was my last case.
No more tax cases. Right on. No more tax case. <clears throat> there is a person who's, uh, who's got a very easy case of false arrest. And let me remind you what false arrest is. Oh, false arrest is this damn easy. Okay. I'm looking for false arrest. Okay, get the chat here, click and drag, dot doc. That's the case that you've all seen if you've been on these calls. Um, let's see. The case of Matthew St. John versus uh, the city of Alamogordo, New Mexico Police Department. He had a gun on his hip sitting in a theater with two of his friends watching the uh, preliminary shorts about the upcoming films before the main movie was to show. And a theater goer went to the manager and said, that guy's got a gun on his hip. And the manager came down the aisle and saw that he's got a gun on his hip and ran up to the office and called the cops and said, the guy's got a gun on his hip. And the dispatcher says, the guy's got a gun on his hip? And the manager says, yes. And so the dispatcher called Officer Duh and Officer Double Duh. There's a theater go with a gun on his hip. And they came on out there as quick as they could. They said, hey, you, theater go with a gun on your hip, come here. And they put him in an escort hold, which is where they, they grab the back of your bicep and lead you out. And uh, took his license, took his gun, called him in, didn't find any warrants. And they said, okay, leave your gun in the truck. Here's your wallet. You can go back inside. And so he sued for false arrest. It's treated as an unreasonable seizure. He sued for unreasonable search and unreasonable seizure. The court said unreasonable seizure. Yeah, but since the arrest was an incident of, or since the search was an incident of the unreasonable seizure, you can't sue for um, unreasonable search. But there's a great discussion of how they have to have a reasonable suspicion that a crime has been committed that a crime is being committed or that a crime is about to be committed or they have to leave it in their pants. Those are the rules. Our founding fathers made them. So uh, here's a case of a citizen in a park uh, committing the gruesome crime of letting one's two dogs run off of the leash. <laughs> and it ended up with that person in the back of an ambulance in handcuffs for four and a half hours. How does this happen? Did they have a reason to approach the person in the first place when uh, having your dogs off the leash is not a crime? Read that case and answer the question. 
how does a dog off the leash turn into a four and a half hour arrest? Huge target. And I get to write the civil complaint. I might even write a criminal complaint to go in first. And uh, the object is early settlement, of course. And uh, in the chat here, uh, I've got, let's see, I've got Gideon Warrior Network, I got Merlin, and I got EJ. In the chat, why don't each of you indicate what you think a person should get in that instance for a four and a half hour arrest um, for having their dogs loose and in handcuffs four and a half hours, what do you think is a reasonable settlement for early settlement when uh, ultimately this person's, um, EJ says 4 million, this person's attorney is gonna ask that to themselves. Uh, what would be, uh, how much would be the most we should ask for and how much would we reduce it if they settle early out of court? So two figures. I'll let them settle early for this much. And if they won't settle early, I'll really take it to them and I'll, I'll depose them in a way that'll make them regret it. Let me at my microphone. So EJ says 1 million to 4 million. <clears throat> Personally, I'm a of a persuasion that early settlement uh i think if you shoot for a quarter million dollars in that case you're doing well you stand a good chance of settling out and it was only four and a half hours now let me get you the uh the settlements document very important know what you're talking about okay and you learn that by looking at what other judges have said. Settlements, malicious prosecution, drum gold. Well, there's the whole doggone drum gold case. You don't need the whole case. Yeah, I'll shut that one. But I'll give it to you. There's a whole case, 122 pages. Be careful. <laughs> and and I lived in, you know, I, I'm not just standing here laughing at people. I lived in that world for years. I don't care how long the case is. I'm going to go read it. That's cool to just look at a, a daunting task like that and know that nobody else can do this. One in how many attorneys to just go ahead and willfully subject themselves to a, uh, a diet of torture like that. <laughs> um, what I'm looking for is uh, that one paragraph. Oh, here, yeah, it's at the end of the document that I just gave you. 
I'm going to copy and paste that paragraph. Three examples of settlements for um, false arrest, malicious prosecution, false imprisonment. Here's that paragraph. And there's three different parameters. 10 months in prison. And the dollar amount that they got equals 21.6 million per year. The next decision, 6.3 million per year, if you averaged it out for a year. And the third one, 5.4 million per year. Cite these three, and this is just me talking, it's not legal advice. I would cite these three and then ask for the middle one. It's fair, it's in the middle. It's way down low in the middle. More like it would be 10 million. But for what it's worth, why don't you give me 6.3 million per year? And for four and a half hours in custody when they shouldn't even have spoken to the owner of those dogs, um, yeah, quarter million or I'm taking your men to a deposition and they're all gonna lose their jobs. How much money do you have invested in their training? Really? Well, then settle early because I aim to deprive them of their occupation. You bet, you bet. Get your ass in the chair, raise your right hand. Well, before we get to that officer, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can't. <laughs> Don't forget where you are. That's right. We're after a criminal complaint. It's already been filed. So before you ask them any questions at the deposition, you remind them they have the right to remain silent. <laughs> oh, yeah, the criminal complaint. And their attorney will have already schooled them on how to treat that type of question. And hell, I want them to claim Fifth Amendment. It's a civil case. Yep. Claim, uh, claim Fifth Amendment, you're guilty. Not in a criminal case, but in a civil case. Oh, yeah. And sadly, the tax honesty movement will never even get to where they can, like me, like Richard Boggs, habitually file really nice lawsuits under the Administrative Procedures Act saying I want a clear explanation of those statutes under the Administrative Procedures Act. And you have to give it to me, Judge. The statute requires it to show that you can sue for access to the law and you can't have it. And then they drag me in here on an indictment. If you bitch like that in front of a jury, you'll likely be find, uh, found not guilty. So uh, there's another hour of things I like about America. Thanks for joining me here on this Wednesday. Stay tuned to No Confidence here. I appreciate uh, your company. And uh, Saturday at the latest, I'll have another posted show here. And uh, there really are some things I should start recording and putting on the web. And uh, sorry for the delays. I keep promising that. But uh, anyway, uh, drive-by litigation sure looks sharp. Tell your friends about it. There'll be more things on there in the near future. They won't cost $200 like the flash drive does. I'll put a placard up there for the flash drive that'll take you to directly to bgbgbg.us. And uh, I'll put other things up there that are smaller, like three or four documents of a certain type in a folder. 
and then I'll do an audio narration of the contents of the folder, put that MP3 file in there with the documents, zip that into one file, and then upload that onto the web and make that for sale for 20 bucks, whatever, 25. Uh, just nickel and dime, because I sure as heck can't ring the $200 bell on that flash drive. It's a big disappointment. I did real good the first month, but sales have fallen right off. Tell everybody you know about bgbgbg.us. Tell them about drive-by litigation and tell them about no confidence. I'll be back here on Saturday. Believe it. And again, it was nice to see everybody and um, enjoy, but don't get too close. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.